0: August 8th, 2018, it's the Watt from Pedro Show.
1: Fresh the to, to the house is dark. We take a walk in my day. They're the streets We we'll use it up time will color the sun. all into be the best of Sunday's charcoal grill Like a book that you made about yesterday I'll be a- <laughs> 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 your own business But you're a to The future you're not because you're cursing the mood, playing the town, a will come and the, the, middle, the, the of on the screen. All the truth boats have said All the fish should die for a time. The fish should sink in for the, the love and The rest This is a To hear his he the he to be The house is dark with the take back And look One more Then the streets For the two or
0: Man alone, totally, because through the wonders of those engineers in Estonia out of Skype, I got Robert Poss with me from New York City. How's the weather there, Robert? Welcome aboard.
2: Hi, it's really hot here. I mean, it's uh,
0: and there was a lot of humidity. Is that what you're having? That's what was in, yeah.
2: It it tends to be really muggy, and uh, air quality goes down. Although we did have we did have thunderstorms last night, and that you know, a good rain, rainstorm tends to clear the air a bit. Yeah, you also get I'm that. used to it. Yeah, you've been there a long time, right? Yeah, I actually moved here in 1980, and I've been living basically in the same neighborhood in the East Village since then. So, and actually, for the first, I think for the first like 20 years I lived here, I didn't have air conditioning. I just had a lot of fans. Yeah, which means like at night you are just like blowing hot air on yourself and <laughs> convincing yourself that it's cooling. You know?
0: Yeah, I remember going visit buddy on Canal by the tunnel there with everybody with the horns going. And right. He's on the sixth floor, you know, the sun is just, <laughs> I, I would just lay on his deck, you know, move as barely as possible, because <laughs> yeah. it was like, yeah, I should say what we started off, uh, Miles Davis, last tour he did with John Coltrane in Europe, in 1960, uh, we heard all blues, and then from your brand new record, uh, You'll Curse the Day. Uh, can we go back, like, you're now from New York City, so, can you remember your or just uh, your earliest musical recollection?
2: Well, you know, I'm a kid in the 60s, you know, I was born in 56. So, probably, you know, I mean, my earliest musical recollections are probably, you know, records my parents played. And yeah. they like played like Burl Ives and, you know, some a fo- few folk singers and some international records that they had gotten through. I think they were involved in something called world hospitality where like people from other countries would come and have dinner with us occasionally. And so I remember seeing some crazy records from Africa and um, some Indian classical music. Um, But I think, you know, my first my first serious sort of musical crush was um, the Beatles. I saw them on Ed Sullivan and I didn't like them at first because my elder sisters loved them and I thought that they were kind of strange. But, you know, I went out and I was really pretty young. I went out, I think the first record I ever bought was A Hard Day's Night, or it might have been the Beatles' second album. And from there, I got totally immersed in the Beatles and the Stones and the Who and the Kinks. And at the same time, I was really in love with blues music. So I was listening to not only, um, you know, sort of the white English blues guys, but I was listening to, um, I would buy these records by like Blind Boy Fuller, and I would buy these French musical imports for some reason in a certain period of time the French were like importing or they were exporting all these records like Ma Rainey and all this really cool stuff that you couldn't get in America Yeah. and I became obsessed with Albert King and Mike Bloomfield Paul Butterfield Blues Band was the first concert I ever went to Um, so you know it was blues and rock mostly with a little bit of the international stuff thrown in Yeah. where was this I'm sorry? Where was this? Oh, this was in Buffalo, New York. Okay, I grew up in a, yeah. in a suburb of Buffalo, New York. Lake, Lake. Uh, called Kenmore. So, you know, of course, when you're from Buffalo, you don't develop a superiority complex, right? Because, you know, you're like, where you're from, you're from Buffalo. And for a lot of people, it's sort of a bit of a joke. But it wasn't a bad place to grow up, really.
0: I played Buff State. One time, the other college there, the gig got canceled because the riots were happening here in 92. So wow, a yeah. fire alarm. And they thought it was going to spread mm. from Crenshaw District.
2: That's pretty funny. The, I think it's a SUNY. Yeah, SUNY Buffalo. It used yeah. to be called University of Buffalo, and then it changed to SUNY Buffalo. Right. Yeah, it's a the big SUNY school I know the system. A,
0: the SUNY I know is Stone, Stony Brook. Stony it's Brook. The Blue yeah. cult right there.
2: <laughs> yeah, Stony Brook is cool. There's a lot. There's a lot of good schools in that system. I mean, it's a really you know New York's a big state. And a lot of lot of lot of state universities and colleges. I think
0: I lived about a year and a half in a place by Schenectady called Boston Spa, while my pop was getting trained in some nuclear. GE he had a nuke plant. Huh?
2: Yeah. Well, I didn't know that.
0: Well, yeah, yeah. He was a machinist mate, and then they were right. doing the nuclear navy, and they had to train a whole bunch of sailors at this stuff. So I have a little bit of that in me, and like when I say the
2: uh, word roof. Right. I don't say roof. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. Rut instead of. Yeah. A, you know route. my um, my father was from New York City and yeah. um, a lot of people don't. I don't have a real traditional Buffalo accent. I haven't lived there since the seventies, anyways. But uh, <laughs> my father's from New York City, and and so we used to come visit his family in New York. And I remember going to the New York World's Fair in 64, and we used to visit New York, and New York was always, when I was a kid, was always this strange and magical place. The Thruway, right?
0: The New York... Yeah, I mean, say it again? The New York Thruway. For the longest New York time... New yeah. It stayed at 55 miles an hour for the longest time.
2: <laughs> yeah, that's a long trip, and we used to drive everywhere. We, You know, we would drive to New York, we'd drive to Maine, these family <laughs> trips, and... I used to come to New York, and it was it was always kind of thrilling and kind of a little frightening. Of course, um, but it was fun. You know, I had a lot of relatives sure. here, and we used to come visit, so that was cool.
0: Going back to you being a boy, okay. So your parents—they're listeners; they're collecting records. But were they players? Was there any instruments in the house?
2: No. You know, my n- neither of my parents had any musical ability. I mean, there's That's okay. There's some di- there's some distant cousin who was like a fairly well-known violinist, classical okay. violinist. But you know, and the truth of the matter is, you know, all the, I'm one of four kids, and we all took instruments. You know, my one sister took flute, one took violin, my brother played clarinet, I played trumpet, and I was like the worst ah, trumpet player. Ah, let me player. ask you
0: about that. So there was there was music
2: in school. Yeah, school music programs like there used to be. I'm not sure if they still have that, but everybody <laughs> you know could could you know be in the band or the orchestra, and I was right. like four. So you trumpet, got put on trumpet. Chair.
0: You put on trumpet.
2: Yeah, that was chair. terrible. Okay. I was terrible. <laughs> uh, that's probably your first gig, though, right? Well, you know, I mean, I played a little piano. I took piano lessons, which I failed at. And I played a little trumpet well, in my like, studio. Whose idea was band. piano lessons? But so I was terrible.
0: Whose idea was piano lessons?
2: Well, it was probably my parents. It's what people did. You know, yeah, we had a yeah. little little piano. And no, we, I've had I guests on the work. show
0: that were traumatized by some piano lessons, they almost left music because of it. Other people, yeah. it was the greatest thing in the world. It helped him down the road. So I, I always ask about
2: that. Yeah, I wasn't traumatized by it, but I never, I never really took to it. And, you know, part of it is, I think, is I've, I have sort of a deficiency in math. I'm not really good at math, and I'm not good at spatial relations and certain things. And, you know, the whole reading music thing, you know, was always a problem for me. Yeah. And the funny thing is, when I, when I turned around 12, 12 and a half, I, just, I got an electric bass, which was my first instrument. And um, I actually had my father, you know, go to the music store, and we bought a, a sort of a Beatle bass copy. It was a Cleara, which is I think like a Swedish, a Swedish company, maybe, maybe German. Why, why bass? To...
0: Whose idea was
2: bass? That was my idea. And you know what? I just thought bass looked cool and I used to look <laughs> at right. the Beatles records and Paul McCartney. Oh yeah, yeah. The
0: Hofner. Yeah,
2: yeah. The Hofner. I mean I just so like I you know, I just thought bass was really I just thought bass was really cool. I got and one, I'm not uh... sure if I had anything else and I liked the sound of it. So and I taught myself and I like most kids in those days, I listened to the radio, I learned the songs, I taught myself, I had like one lesson and I became obsessed. As a matter of fact, my parents my parents started to wonder because, you know, I didn't play sports and I didn't, uh, you know, I didn't do some, a lot of the things the other kids did. I would just be up in my room for hours at a time playing bass. And I think my parents thought, you know, this is going to lead to, you know, some major adult trauma, which I guess it did. You know,
0: I got a Hoffner. Yeah, but that's OK. I got a Hoffner because you make beautiful music. So it's worth it. Yeah, I, I got a Hoffner made in China. So it was only 250 bucks to play with yeah. Falco a couple of years ago. But man, are they uh, they are individual there's no bass like them it weighs like three pounds it's got these little flats uh it's a trip and i did a they're really fun they're really they are fun uh here i want to play Did, did i say the name of the first song uh after miles and train i played you'll curse the day this one's called i've got a secret list
1: possible in the littlest leap,
3: possible
4: サラダと思っ君の30年後の僕なんだ。言えるはずもない。ああ、いい気分 That is a a night. year the the a the a night. can a the a night, the night. can the the a night,
0: Andy Boone used to uh, listen to Chicha Chong records, and there's this great uh, yeah, uh, uh, bit where they're uh, hey man, what kind of movie? What are you doing? I'm watching a movie. What kind of movie? Well, it's kind of boring. It's this Indian movie because <laughs> some test patterns had like an Indian guy, yeah, a native person, yeah, t- with the feathered bonnet and stuff, and yeah, I can remember a lot of those bits still. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we heard just heard. Uh, I've got a secret list. Robert Paz from the new album, guided by voices. Uh, Bob Pollard, the littlest league possible. Mm-hmm. Uh, missing with hard hot water. Those are uh, teenagers up in Seattle. Nango from high, um, Hokkaido with Kappa. I think Kappa's got the little dish on his head, right? And it can't, it can't, it's got it's got to have water in it. And uh use it to uh, teach kids how to be safe around lakes, and not drown. Alex uh, Zhang Tai with Perot. And finally, Robert Posse with the test pattern setting is what we were talking about right there. So, uh, you're, you're in the school band just for a little bit, fourth chair trumpet. You get a bass. You're doing the Brian Wilson up in my room thing. and <laughs> right. uh, But... Uh, What about uh, like after school in the afternoon? Did you do the garage band thing with some buddies?
2: Oh, yeah. You know, I started I started in junior high school. I mean, I think I played my first my first concert in front of people. And by concert, I mean in the junior high school auditorium in like 1970. And I do remember it was a power trio. You know, right. in, in a sense, it was bass guitar and drums, uh-huh. and we played some Iron Butterfly covers. All right. We played a Steppenwolf cover. <laughs> we played something from the Super Session, uh, Super Session record, uh, some Harvey Brooks tune. Yeah, and we played a version of If I Were a Carpenter, and we played a couple <laughs> of what we called originals, which oh. were instrumentals. You know, which are like two, three and three and four chord instrumentals. So yeah, I started. Was
0: the it
2: scary about How that was that gig, first gig? Was it scary? It wasn't scary except that right before we had this play, I broke a string on my bass. Gosh. Oh, uh, and I was playing a Fender Precision by then. I'd switched from the, I put the put the clear away that the, the uh, Hofner style bass and I had a f- nice Fender Precision I got for 125 bucks. It was a 60 66 which I still have. Smart and move. I broke a string and I'd never broken a string and I didn't have any spare strings. And the funny thing is that I didn't I had forgotten that I had another bass sitting in my closet and I panicked and actually we sent somebody else to try to go to the music store to buy a string and they didn't have any luckily we were we were warming up for a really cool buffalo band called The Die Still Lives and these were guys from the city and they all had like they had a full set of custom brand amplifiers. So with those big black Sparkly. puffy yeah. ones, you know, yeah. and they had and the guy played a precision and he was probably around like 19. And here I am, like 12 and a half. I've just broken the string and I actually begged the guy I said, please, please, can I borrow your bass? And he actually relented. So I played my first gig ever with this borrowed bass. And uh, yeah, that was the most nerve wracking thing. The funny thing is that well, even Fender's now, a Fender,
0: though that's a good thing. Sometimes I'll yeah. go to a town. Just make sure the Fender P's there. <laughs>
2: right, exactly.
0: No, it's a great base. And my I union mean, card, you know, uh, uh, when I got uh, AFM Local 47, they had me audition, you know, and right I there at the union hall, and then they gave me a card and it said Fender base because the other know, the real base was was is the stand-up thing, right?
2: Yeah, no. That I remember. That was the generic term for electric bass for a long time was fender bass.
0: So, uh, so, 1980, you moved to New York City. Was was that because of music?
2: Yeah, you know what happened is I went away to college, and I had been playing with with some guys in Buffalo. Um, we were doing sort of a blues, sort of blues bluesy rock. It was sort of like rock, but we had a really great harp player. And anyways, I went away to college and I came back and we sort of thought, well, let's let's sort of put this band together again. And first we moved to New Haven because we thought, well, you know, you can't really afford to live in New York. And New Haven was right between Boston and New York. And the bands that we really liked were pretty much either in Boston or New York. (laughs) So we lived in New Haven for a year and we played some gigs with like Mission of Burma and bands like that. And we put together. What was the name of this band, Robert? I'm sorry again? What was the name of this band? The name of the band was Tot Rocket, T-O-T Rocket, which was a ridiculous <laughs> name that I came up with, and I'm not sure why. That and we started enemy. playing, like, weird covers. Like, we played play, like, Graham Parker tunes and stuff like oh, Clash. Him. And then we ended up writing our own songs, and we put out a couple of 7-inch records, and we moved to New York as a band after, like, a year and a half in New Haven, where we were working as janitors. We moved to New York. You know who's and New Haven?
0: Doug Wimbish. What?
2: Say it again? Doug Wimbish. Oh, yeah. Great basement. Right.
0: Yeah. He's New Haven. And Kay, uh, she played Black Flag for a while. She, right, She was right, born exactly. in New Haven. I
2: think Doug yeah, still lives it was lives a cool there. place to live. I mean, it was fine, and it was really cheap. I think the three of us were living in a house. We were paying like 297 a month for the whole house. Jesus. So, you know, we could do it. <laughs>
0: okay, so I you remember, guys moved to, what, what happens to Top Rocket when they go to the big city?
2: Well, when we moved to the big city, we sort of, you know, we released a couple more records. And I don't know, we didn't, we didn't, we we were playing around the this, this circuit like we played Max's Kansas City and we played CBGB. And, um... We're sort of struggling as sort of a punkish, bluesy, punkish rock band. And we're writing some decent stuff. And then at a certain point, actually this leads into a very very funny story which I'll try to keep very brief for you. But um then we then that band sort of morphed into this group called Western Eyes, which was a reworking of Top Rocket with this producer Nicholas Collins who was an electronic music guy who had this he had his own like sort of handmade, homemade system of weird gating channels. So we did all kinds of weird processing. We put out an LP under the Western Eyes name. At that point, I was sort of getting fed up with working with this, these same fellows and just sort of banging our heads against the wall in the New York music scene because I think maybe we weren't quite hip enough. So I did what people do in the old days when you don't know what to do. I went back to school. Now, the funny thing is I um, I went... I applied for and got into the one school that I applied for, which is a Columbia University journalism program, which was actually like a really top school. Yeah, sure. So I got my student loans. I told my parents, hey, I'm going back to school. And during the first week of school, my friend from the old band, Andrew, called me and he said, listen, I'm at at Top Cat Rehearsal Studios and Pill, meaning Johnny Lydon, they're, they're looking for a new guitarist and you're the right guy. Which, in a oh, sense, I was. Well, Robert, wait so, a minute, wait,
0: wait a minute here. So you're on guitar by this point. You, you had quit. I'm bass.
2: playing guitar. Yeah, I switched to guitar. sort well, tell me, tell me about that. How that happen? Cause you know then, I was playing you, bass. You, didn't do a bass as a, you did bass all the way through teenager, right? Yeah, I did, and then and then I started playing some guitar probably when I was in college or right before college. I just discovered that I. Could play Lee guitar, <laughs> so I started learning all those solos like from the Allman Brothers and Eric. What, what was your first guitar? My first guitar was a really beat up telecaster, I think I got for 125 bucks. Someone had like painted it orange, put a Bigsby on it, put humbucking pickups on it. The neck was terrible, oh. and that was my first real guitar. What kind of amp? My th- What's that? amp Amp. I was using like. I think for like, I was borrowing amps from my friends, so they were basically like Fender Pro Reverb okay. or Fender Super Reverb. Sure, sure. So I was using Great that. Answer. And then eventually, soon after that, I bought a friend of mine, and his brother was in the Army and he was in Texas. And he found me a national town and country, a 1956 national town and country Yeah. for like 150 bucks, And he brought that back. And that was my main guitar for a number of years. Wow. Um, so, it's sort of a strange guitar to play, but I thought it was super cool. Yeah,
0: they are. Let's go, uh, go and, back. Did you try out for Johnny Rodden?
2: Well, so what happened with Pills? So I go to so anyways, I go to this audition. They have already auditioned every guitarist in New York. <laughs> I go there, and I've got my Les Paul Jr. double cutaway, which was my guitar at choice. And, you know, I plug into the Marshalls, and this is a big rehearsal studio. I barely knew the material. I knew, like, three songs. I knew three Pill songs from, like, the first record. And so anyways, I bluffed my way through the um, audition and they said, okay, you're it, you're in the band. And I'm like, what? And they said, no, no, we love you, you're good. And actually John called me up at night and he said, he said, well, you know, we want you, Robert. And I was like, okay. And he said, well, listen, we're gonna be going to Japan soon, blah, blah, blah. So, so anyways, this is my first week of graduate school. So I call my parents up and I say, mom, dad, you know, because I was getting student loans and they were gonna help me a little bit. And I said, mom, dad, remember journalism school? And they go, yeah. And I said, well, remember, have you ever heard of a guy named Johnny Rotten? (laughs) And um, I said, listen, I think I'm going to have to leave school and like go on tour with his band. So my mother, I'll never forget it. I mean, this is my mother who's, you know, no longer with us, but she was a lovely woman. And she said, Robert, you know, you can go to school anytime, but, you know, Johnny Rotten only comes around once. (laughs) So they had no idea who he was, right? Yeah, but but still
0: bitching, they supported you.
2: They supported me. Yeah. So anyway, so for two weeks, and this is ridiculous, and there's a, this is all online. If you, if you Google Robert Paulson Public Image Limited, you'll find this whole story in great detail. So I went to one rehearsal, and it, it turned out they really wanted someone to sort of a clone of their previous guitarist. Oh, Keith uh, Levine? No, this was after the, v- the Levine period. Le- the oh, Keith Levine, I could have done fine <laughs> because I, I played like him this was a more of a commercial sounding guy sort of a little flashier and so we started rehearsing and like he said oh you know for this song you know it doesn't sound right like you don't have a flanger and you don't have this you don't have that And anyways it became clear after a couple rehearsals that like they didn't really want to rehearse a new guitarist it was just you know and i was cramming i was listening to pill and the weird thing is i was telling people you know i'm uh, i'm in pill now and they were like oh yeah right sure you're a kid you know I said no, no, really. I auditioned and I'm in. Pill and anyhow, this went on for two weeks and then basically it turned out that they rehired their old guitarist. Oh, I'm so, so sorry. Man. So so I went so so there I am going to graduate school and like my mind is totally blown. You know, anyways, I finished school and graduated and that was fine. But it was the weirdest thing because it was like being snatched up into the big time and then being let down.
0: Yeah, the taunt. Robert, you we're know? at the end of the first hour, August 8th, yeah. 2018 edition of Lot from Pedro Show. Special guest Robert Poss. Hold tight for hour two. August 8th, 2018, it's the second hour of the Watt from Pedro Show. Mm-hmm.
5: the hole is deeper than you If you knew what I was thinking, you'd get me drunk and keep on.
0: for Pedro Show, start the second hour with more Frozen Flowers from Robert Paz, brand new album. Uh, Then, uh, Nels Klein, Scott Amadola's Prod, Stressed Woven with Don Took It's top Time. Carla Bozulich, Deeper Than The Well, she's from Pedro. Moldo Man from Baltimore with the demo of uh, part three of All That Glitters Is Mold. Uh, Mert from Hungary with Drain, I guess from the practice pad, and Robert Pause with uh, partial clearing. Yeah, these these titles.
2: <laughs> do, do do the titles come first? Sometimes they do, but usually I just I love words. I love playing with words. I like you know poetry and rhymes and not rhymes and I like little catchphrases and sort of like you know with the Band bandasues and stuff like you know titles are like hope against hope and you know they're they're basically. You know phrases or parts parts of speech that I like. These titles like partial clearing actually was sort of descriptive of the song. That starts with this real kind of grainy thing, and then in the middle of the song, there's this sort of uh, sort of sort of pretty kind of arpeggio part, uh-huh. and it goes back to the sort of more distorted stuff so for me that one partial clearing was actually descriptive now generally my titles are not descriptive of the music they're they're just things that occur to me that you know maybe something in the music evokes you know some kind of phrase and i'll, I'll attach it you mentioned and of course- Susans.
0: after this pill dilemma or taunt and then the graduating school you don't become a reporter right
2: No, you know, that's the thing is I went back to my old day job, which was like working at a law firm, like summarizing trial testimony and deposition testimony. You know, the thing about journalism schools, I loved the editing and the writing, but I found that I didn't really like a lot of the reporting because I just was not. Maybe it was a question of being inhibited or a social issue, but I didn't like pestering people and making them tell me things they didn't want to tell me, which was a lot of what reporting is. Yeah, of course. It was a great program, and I learned a lot, and my writing improved. And actually, I have a I have a um, an evaluation from one of my professors who said you should take that black shoe polish out of your hair and like become a writer because I was you know dyeing my hair with Miss Claire all then of course, but uh, but you know I didn't. But this led, eventually, this led to me just deciding I wanted to start from scratch. I wanted to just, I didn't want to have a band. I didn't want to play what other people were playing. I didn't want to do anything except do exactly what I wanted. So I had a couple of digital delays, and, you know, which were pretty new at the time, and some distortion pedals, and I would sit there and I would, like, start a loop, maybe a drone, and then maybe I would put a riff on top of it. And then I would add a third guitar part. And that was sort of the genesis of Band of Susans. I put out a, a, a solo cassette tape called Sometimes, which had some of this material. But what it was is I, I became inspired. I became inspired by, you know, putting a tube screamer in front of a rat and hearing how beautiful that sounded. And I was really interested in, like, guitar feedback and guitar drones And I sort of started writing. At the same time, I was also playing with Reese Chatham, who's a great guitar composer. I wanted to ask you about him. First, first. I want to play this though. Farther south from Tel Aviv.
5: Berachit bara milchama veacharit milchama uvenzo uvenzo mavet veod mavet veod mavet veod harbe mavet. Rak mavet, metu pach, metfagir. Le long mili. Mavet. Ode ve od la viretze. Mavet. 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 him.
3: Write it on Twitter with a slow It's alright for you, your love's pretty strong
4: But
3: what do I do when my best friend's gone? I like when you're drunk that you give me a heart But I know you'll leave when the you
2: Wow, for yeah, I show. don't know when we're on the air and when we're not tonight. Sorry if I'm stepping on you. A little no, you ain't. You yeah, ain't. Yeah. It's righteous. You know. I okay. Should have you on for like uh, round
0: two. <laughs> in the right. beginning, he created war from far the south. Uh, Lucy Leave, uh, long sequence. Insti- Instituto no with a mass. Patrick Grant with uh, circulation in G maybe. That's a kind of guitar, uh, trippy thing. And then Robert Poss with ribbon, ribbon Candy Colors. Yeah, Reese Chatham, people. Uh, I, I know about him because of thirst. And I know there's a weird kind of parallel universe with uh, Glenn Bronca, right?
2: Right, exactly, yeah. So so tell the listeners about uh, Reese Chatham and you. Well, Reese Chatham, you know, was was really known in the 80s for... Uh, he was a pretty serious music composer with this pretty serious music background, but he sort of, I think he went and saw the Ramones at CBGB and he sort of discovered the electric guitar and he put it to a different uses than what rock bands were doing. He was sort of more, or, he sort of made a sort of more orchestral use of the guitar and he is his most famous for for a song called guitar trio which if you haven't heard you should really check out which is just about the overtones of the of mass guitars one string then two strings and five strings um i started playing with him uh in his band in like around 84 and he was very inspirational to me because he he was making music out of just certain elements of the guitar like he loved super clean guitars and these sort of the different overtones on the string um i in turn was you know interested in super distorted guitars and um and those overtones and feedback and stuff so i have to say reese was a great inspiration and also my partner in the band susan stanger oh she was my you know before the band even started she was you know one of my best friends or she was my best friend and she had studied flute in prague she introduced me, and also this guy Nicholas Collins, who I met in college, they both introduced me to these so-called serious music composers, people like Phil Niblock and and John Cage and Lamont Young and Elvin Lussier and Christian Wolf. So in a sense, in terms of my musical education, also Julius Eastman, in my musical education growing up, even though I was obsessed with rock, I also had one ear tuned to... The, sort of the more serious, almost academic, or what they used to call new music by these, you know, legitimate composers. Anyhow, Band of Susans was an attempt to sort of bridge the gap between my more sort of interest in so-called serious and experimental music and what I loved about rock. And... um So, you know, our first song was really Hope Against Hope, which is basically a one-chord song. I mean, it's in a sense, it's kind of like a Bo Diddley thing, you know, which goes on and on, one one chord, (laughs) maybe a couple changes in there. Anyhow, the concept of Band of Susan's was layered electric guitars, three guitars, very simple parts, but combined into something that sounded really different. And so it was minimalist in its own way. Um, I just got a bunch of my friends together. three of them were named Susan. They were not no they had never really played guitar before. I sort of taught them. Um, I wanted to start from scratch and I did. so I just decided i'm gonna make music just from the elements of music that I like, very simple, very stripped down um, and not necessarily focus so much on melody. Um, And not so much focused on on, uh, chord changes, more about like layers and textures and sonic architecture. So that was that was what that was about. And that became, you know, that became a thing.
0: What was the first gig like?
2: Band of Susans, the first gig we played at a place called the Love Club, which was in the basement of the Lismar Lounge on First Avenue, some bar, little bar. We'd never played before. We had like tiny little amps and but it was our record release party. We had we had recorded an EP. Um and so we invited everyone we knew and the uh, place was packed and we kinda got through it and it was really, really fun, and I think it was, you know, no one had heard anything quite like this.
0: Oh, great. How long did that band last?
2: Band of Susan's existed from eighty six to ninety five.
0: Nine so, years.
2: A sort of a shifting cast of characters with a certain core, okay. because as we started touring more, certain people couldn't tour, or certain people changed careers or moved or whatever. Yeah. But yeah, so we you know we put out I guess about five CDs and some EPs, and we toured all over the U.S. and also about twelve foreign countries. Um, and blast we were first on Paul the Smith, UK record right? label. Paul Smith, Blast First. Paul Smith, Blast First. Yeah, he signed us. He put out our first record, and he and actually even before he put us out, John Peel had already been playing us on, you know, on the BBC. So and, uh, you know, we got some nice write ups in the New York Times and stuff. And I have a one thing that happened to me is that the day we got a nice review by Robert Palmer in the New York Times, I got these calls from these record companies. and They said, so like, how did you get your how did you get that record placed in the New York Times? And I said, well, I put the record in a box and I went to the post office, and I mailed it. I mean, <laughs> great, I had great no connections, You yeah. know what I mean? I just sent this stuff out. Same yeah. thing with John Peel. I sent this stuff out, and people listened to it.
0: And they made their own decision. Exactly. So that's right. So look, we're at the end of the second hour, August 8th, 2018 edition of pedros Show. Special guest, Robert Poss. Hold tight for hour three. August 8th, 2018, it's the third hour of the Watt for Pedro pedros Show.
2: sliced piece, still relief on one second or less, only a snapshot, but don't miss out on all the gory little details, how you saved life over death, slowly from one slice, day after day another, till you have miraculously conquered the odds and emerged a better man, vivid in that one snapshot, now my good friend,
1: passing in that still life beyond the necessary frames, and now a good picture of life.
2: May you have a Rolodex of memories. It's only up from here. Here's looking up your slice, my friend. Glad you could make it. Life is more than a still life, so get out and make it, man.
0: For Pedro, show started off the third hour with Robert Posse doing Bitter Strangs, The Healers with Circumstance, Joe Brewer, Still Life, LHS, Brave New World, and Robert Posse with Sketch 72. Was there 71 sketches before this one?
2: Well, the thing about Sketch 72 is it's a sort of a tongue in cheek title because you know that was the last thing I recorded for the record and I wanted to do something that I had done when I was much younger, which was a song in the Keith Richard tuning, that sort of five string oh, Keith yeah. Richard thing. Yeah. So I did, and, I, and also I wanted to play slide guitar, which I never play anymore. And so I put together something really quick. And, and one of the strange sort of idiosyncratic things about that track is that I took out, I took the drum tracks from a band of Susan's song from like this instrumental tag of the band of susan song and i just i have the multi-tracks you know on digital i spun off the drums ron spitzer's great drums and i thought why don't i use these drum tracks and like write a completely new song it's nothing to do with the old song so i put on the drums and then i put on my five string keith Richards style guitar and which i've always played i started playing that five string thing in the 70s actually every once in a while and i just made this song it's sort of in the spirit of the exile and main street stones era which i'm very fond of and you know through you know the story behind it, that
0: though Ray cooter, pardon Ray, me. you know the story behind that record Ry cooter oh yeah yeah right he shows yeah, up he to jam him. with them and yep. keith never shows up but keith was showed up he was behind the glass or something recording the whole track he was doing <laughs> yeah so so you said this song is kind of different than the other song let's
2: talk about the whole record sure you, uh, yeah what was the impetus? well you know the records the record's a bit of a collection i mean i originally was going to make this sort of band of susan's Esque rock record uh-huh. but i had a lot of i've been working with dance companies there are these these three dance companies i worked with over the years primarily in the last 10 years with two dance companies one alexander beller and also another a guy named gerald cassell and, you know, with the dance companies, I'd write music for the – for this, this is modern dance. I'd write music for them. Jerry Cassell. And I would perform live. You Devo guy? Uh, no. It <laughs> <laughs> sounds like the guy from Devo, right? No, this is <laughs>
0: Gerald Cassell. <laughs> okay, okay.
2: <laughs> but that's good. That's a good reference. So, you I know, no, but really
0: interesting writing music to dancing because – Yeah. Great inspiration because it's, it's about rhythm.
2: It's about rhythm, and it was really fun because I would go to the rehearsals, and I would, like, bring a bass, or I would bring a guitar, and I would just listen, and I would just – and I also I would talk to the choreographers, and I'd get a sense about what is this dance about? You know, is, is there some sort of emotion you're trying to evoke? Anyhow, I had this material that I had performed and written for uh, these dance companies, and I thought, you know, I really want to put this stuff out. And then I had some other sort of more sort of ambient, and experimental stuff I had lying around. And I just thought, you know – I, before I move on to my next thing, I want to put out this this record. So it's a collection of material from a few years, and it is, I would say, it's fairly diverse. I mean, there's some stuff there that has, uses sort of strings. There's some stuff that's more percussive. There's some stuff that's more straight-ahead rock. Um, there's some stuff that uses drum machine. There's some stuff that is no drums. Um so, yeah, it's it's an eclectic record in a sense, but it's all me. I don't think anyone else could have sort of put something together quite like this.
0: No, definitely. Uh, yeah, it's not like a genre thing. To me, it sounds like Robert Boss. It's really good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you did a really good job. I want to play uh, The Sixth Sense, Betrayed. <laughs>
6: September 7th, folks. That means it's National Salami Appreciation Day. Hope you've got big plans for an evening out on the town, eating some delicious salami. If you prefer a relaxing meal at home, your local grocer should have a variety of delightful salamis to choose from. Or, if you're super lazy, order that pizza with pepperoni, one of the more popular types of salami. Here are some ways to celebrate National Salami Appreciation Day. Pick up a pound or two at the deli and pique the interest of your co-workers with some fun salami facts. I bet you didn't know that salami can be stored at room temperature for up to ten years. That most cultures have some sort of cured, fermented, air-dried meat. Here are some. Italy. France. Serbia, Slovenia, Croatia, the Czech Republic, Netherlands, Belgium, Luxembourg, Greece, Romania, Macedonia, Bulgaria, Poland, and Turkey. The salami can be bacteria cured or salt cured that the tangy flavor of salami comes from acid, a lowered pH. This stops the growth of harmful bacteria. Try these fun ways to celebrate National Salami Appreciation Day. Play a game of pin the tail on the salami. Play a game of Bobbing for salami. Even more delightful than floating in a tub of hot butter. Watch out for your arteries, though. Have a salami day stew contest. Don't forget salami party hats. Invite every guest to bring a dachshund wiener dog. Play a good game of sausage ball. Grow a knitting or crocheting party to make doilies and coverlets for your salami. How about a salami sculpture contest? Play name that salami by having a blindfolded taste test. And last but not least... Make your home salami-friendly by buying National Salami Appreciation Day T-shirts for everyone in your family. But no matter what, have a great salami day. And wish all your friends a happy salami day, too, since... One good sausage party deserves another... It on a very sweet spring day. What is it? What is it? What is happening? I'm trying hard to get around the by surprise. Hypochondriac in good health, he got. Blood. line of action, so the problem has not been sorted out yet. Yeah, we have been doing things this way ever since you have left us, but I can't say can't recall the
5: reason why
6: I
0: For Pedro, show The last music For this edition The Sixth Sense Betrayed Listen carefully At snare drum And you'll have a hint About the title there People Ralph Carney And Chris Butler Had Chris Butler On the show Last week With uh, Salami Appreciation Day Yeah they made an album Of all Kind of trippy holidays They're usually generated By industry Kind of brands And yeah Salami Day (laughs) Salami Appreciation Day Very sad about Ralph Carney Great horn man And uh but Chris is still plowing, great cat. Then we had SS Space Systems from upstate New York doing uh, Tusui okay. Oswald Oswaldovi and Andrea Rotin with Ticks Are Hiding, Midwestern Medicine something live called Puppy Dreams, and then finally the longest tune from the new album you got there, Robert, Time Frames Marking Time,
2: which really, what's behind that tune? That was a, a, a live performance. It's actually an excerpt of about a 20-minute live performance I did with this for the choreographer Sally Gross and her dance company. And that she died a couple of years ago. Um, sure. This was maybe the last performance I did with her. And She was a very interesting woman who had grown up sort of, I think, speaking Yiddish, and then she got involved in, in the Judson School of Modern Dance. And um, she was around 80-something when she died, um, wow. I loved working with her. She was very sort of an austere, minimalist, but very emotional and very interested in pure dance. And um, it was a real privilege to work with her. So that track is, again, as I said, is is a is an excerpt of a live performance. So it's just guitar and, you know, some pedals. And uh, I'm, you know, if you listen carefully, you'll hear some dancers shuffling around in the background. <laughs> um and uh, yeah, that was great. That was done at a place called West Beth, uh, which was an old, which was sort of a an apartment complex set up for artists of uh, various types. One of the few places in New York um, where artists were sort of, or could live very inexpensively, choreographers and painters and musicians, uh, what, way on the west area? side of New York. What area? That's way on the west side, um, sort of in the West West Village. Um uh, near a place called Bethune Street, fairly obscure street, okay. um, almost on the water almost on almost on the water, way on the west side, like Water Street wetlands there used to be a, yeah. right right uh, that's that's interesting
0: they actually set stuff for, for artists you know uh,
2: you don't see yeah no it' that. was
0: great <laughs> and uh, this uh, this lady this is great w- working with older people is really interesting.
2: Yeah, she was fascinating and um you know, I was I was recommended to her by this composer Phil Niblock and um she just called me up out of the blue and said, Phil says you might be interested in working with me and I was like I had never worked with a dance company before and I met her and um it was great. And I you know, I would do things like I had electric bass, I would bow to create long tones and mm-hmm. um I had these Tibetan um these singing bowls I would use and I would do some percussion stuff with wood blocks. I mean, it sort of was a varied. It wasn't just guitar, um, and I performed with her, you know, fairly for around eight years, on and off, um, and it was really great, really great.
0: You know, what about you, you meet younger musicians? Uh, do they ever ask you for advice? What would you get,
2: tell them about this racket? Well, you know it's 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 probably really shop-worn advice but just don't don't listen to too many people in terms of the limitations they might want to put on you in other words do really what you want to do because if you do what you want to do and you're not successful at least you have the art you have the music and you can be proud of it if you try to second guess the marketplace and try to sort of figure out what is, you know, what would really be a hit now, what would really be cool. Yeah, if you're successful fine, but if you're not, you're sort of left with nothing because you feel like, well, I kind of sold out or I kind of tried to second guess the popular culture marketplace. So, you know, it, to me it's like it's I I talk about it this way. You know, I've had day jobs my whole life and I'm still working a day job. I do location sound for for television which I enjoy, but But, you know, I never really wanted to have a day job necessarily in music. I just, I I feel like, well, I look at it this way. How many poets in America make a living? (laughs) There's about five poets probably in America that make a living. And I've always thought, like, think like a poet. Poets do stuff because they want to be poets. Yeah. They like poetry. They love language. Yeah. They don't do it because, like, I'm going to be a poet, and I'm going to, like, make a fortune, and I'm going to sell the screenplay, and I'm going to, you know, sell the rights to my poetry. No, they do it because they're driven to be poets. And it may sound like a bit like I'm an, I'm an artiste or something, but <laughs> I sort of <laughs> thought think stuff. like a poet. Think like a poet. Sure. Do, do your poetry. That's great advice. And what's next for you? Um, next, you know, I've been playing around town with this art rock band called Heroes of Tulick, um, which is a fun band playing their material. I have a bunch of solo shows coming up. I'm trying to do some, you know, I've been doing some solo guitar and electronic things. I want to do some more duos and trios. I want to get more involved in doing sort of more improvised stuff, you know, with some of the people here in New York. Um, and then I want to make another record. Maybe I'll make that rock record that I didn't make before, or maybe I won't. But um, you know, I just keep doing what I do, and um, I'm really happy when there's an audience for it. And it's really fun to meet some younger musicians. Um, I was playing with this drummer Dom Sapolo, who's really cool. Um, he just joined this Japanese band Mono, which are really great. Oh, I know about um, them. And you know, I I like meeting new musicians, and I like sort of doing short-term collaborations I miss having a band but I don't miss having a band I don't miss being <laughs> on the phone all day trying to arrange for one rehearsal um, I, you know I I like these short-term collaborations and I do some stuff with Susan Stenger still like Don't, we did something don't you, in you Paris. like trade files with
0: people? Say it again? Trade files with people Yeah Yeah Because that's one of the good things about the internet I've been on whole al- albums of, with people I've never even met <laughs> <laughs> I've done
2: some of that, and that's great. It and is. I, I love it's not, it's not totally
0: have, the bad new days.
2: There's some good things. No, no, it's great, and especially internationally. I mean, I have the people that's from right. other countries. You know, people write to so me it's like you know, from the Malaysia, environment and you grew up with,
0: with that um, hosting thing with your parents. Say that one more time. What you? The environment you grew up with your your parents the the, the hosting. Yeah. yeah, That ethic, like is, that. That that like, ethic uh, is still alive.
2: International. Yeah. International. Absolutely. Robert, no, it's I mean, been a is, big,
0: big honor to have you on my show. Thank you so much. I really, really appreciate it. It's been beautiful. And keep on keeping on. And, I will. uh Yeah. Something new, please send my way so I can play it. Absolutely. Okay. It's been the August 8th, 2018 edition of Watch for Pedro Show. Keep your powder dry.